Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. Well, I just want to get right into it this morning. Say, get into it, Pastor. I'm excited. My glasses are dirty. I'm not excited because my glasses are dirty, but... So if I misquote a scripture, it's because of my glasses. Has anyone here ever seen the show Downton Abbey? Yeah. All the ladies say, yeah. The guys are like, my wife made me watch it. But I actually, you know, I kind of got drawn into this series, and um, I think they even had a movie we saw, and I think there's a current movie that, that's out or was just out for it. Kay's like, yes, yes, have you seen it? No, I haven't seen it yet. Um, I'm sure we will. But there's something about the movie that, that drew me in, and it was really because it was showing these two different worlds. You had the world of these landowners or these aristocrats, and then you had the world of the servants. And so they, they split it up, and you even could see the different ways they lived and how they were treated and the different quarters. I mean, even the bedrooms were completely different. You know, a little, a little you know, a 10 by 10 square versus a huge room with, you know, beautiful furniture and things like that. But you saw these two different ways of living, and, and that's really what drew me in. It was at least to see, I guess, at that time what was going on and how that worked. And it reminds me kind of Jesus when, when he speaks in Luke chapter 17. Let's look at Luke chapter 17. Jesus is talking to his disciples here, uh, like he normally did over three years or so of ministry. And you know what I love? I love that Holy Spirit inspired the writers of the Gospels to give us these snapshots, if you will, into the life of Jesus, into the ministry of Jesus. You know, the Apostle John actually said that Jesus did so many other things that if it were all written down, he says, I suppose the whole world wouldn't have enough or contain enough books to write everything that Jesus did. And what that tells me is that there must be a specific reason that the things that were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write are there. Because everything is not there. Like sometimes you're like, well, I wonder if, or I wonder if. And I believe we can get a pretty good feel for the life of Jesus and really the heart of Father uh, through the life of Jesus and, and seeing what's written. But again, I really believe that what's written is very specific and for specific reasons, something that we can glean from it, something that we can learn from it. And so I want to look at Luke chapter 17. I want to start in verse 3. Jesus says this He says, Be alert. Say, Be alert. Look at the person next to you and say, be alert. You just woke him up. Look at this. He says, if you see your friend going wrong, correct him. Ooh, man, that's something we can learn from. Now, I also love that scripture says to speak the truth in love. Because a lot of times we see, we see something and we have truth and we're just telling people whether they want to hear it or not. And there's no love involved. But Jesus is saying it's okay. It's okay to correct someone. Or, and this is what I found. This is why relationships are so, so very important. Is that when you correct someone you have good relationship with, who understands you, you understand them, you understand you know, one another's heart, even though you may not like what they're saying, you can receive what they're saying. Because you know it's coming from a good place. Come on. But look at this. If he responds, forgive him. Even if it's personal against you and repeated seven times through the day. This is one day, seven times. How many have kids? 
And seven times he says, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. Even after the seventh time, forgive him. I love the response of the apostles here. They came up to the master and said, give us more faith. Increase our faith. Why? Because forgiving someone over and over and over and over again is not very easy, right? Look at this in verse 6. But the master said, okay, stop for a second. Don't read, don't read. Put it, take it down. What did they ask for? More faith. How many have heard messages about you need to get more faith? I preached them. <laughs> Woo. You want to hear what Jesus says? I sound like Pastor Blue there. Woo-hoo. Look at this. Thank you, Pastor Blue. He's shining down from above. Look at this. But the master said, you don't need more faith. What? Jesus, what? What is going on here? You don't need more faith. Look at this. There is no more or less in faith. If you have a bare kernel of faith, say the size of a poppy seed, you could say to this sycamore tree, he was probably in a field somewhere, saw a tree, go jump in the lake, and it would do it. Now, I want to stop there for a minute because I don't believe Jesus is teaching us how to get sycamine or sycamore trees to jump into a lake. Right? He's making a point. And his point is, you don't need more faith. Okay, Jesus, if you stop there, I'm kind of confused because for years I thought somehow I had to get more, conjure up more, somehow get more faith. I love that Jesus goes on. Look at verse 7. He says, suppose one of you has a servant who comes in from plowing the field or tending the sheep. Now, who's plowing the field and tending the sheep? A servant. He says, would you take his coat? Set the table and say, sit down and eat. How many know the answer to that? No. Now listen, I know we live in the 21st century. Are we in the 21st? Yeah, 21st century. My son the other day was like, 20th century Fox, man, they're way behind. I'm like, but buddy, listen, listen, that's 21st century. We just hit it, right? And I know, I know we live in a time where servants, slaves, that idea is kind of, uh, but in this time, they understood this. So Jesus is saying, if they come in from doing their work, from doing their job, would you say to them, give me your coat, set the table and say, sit down and eat? Look at this. Wouldn't you be more likely to say, prepare the dinner, change your clothes and wait table for me until I finished my coffee, then go to the kitchen and have your supper? Makes sense, right? Look what he says. Does a servant get special thanks for doing what's expected of him? And then he says this, it's the same with you. When you've done everything expected of you, be matter of fact and say, the work is done. What we were told to do, we did. Now we're going to dig into this a little bit. But the first question I have is this, how do you see yourself? We talk about this idea of a servant. How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as a valued son? Or a common servant? And I believe I have to ask this question because even in my own life, and I've, I've heard believers, people who love Jesus, they love God, they attend church, they, they, they work in ministry, they you know, preach the gospel, all the things that we believe a Christian should or would do, they're doing these things, but they still speak from a servant mentality, not a son mentality. 
So do you see yourself as a valued son or we could say daughter or a common servant? Do you see yourself as a beloved child of God or just a mere worker for the king? Think about this. I love this example. Let's say you have a family business and you work within that family business. How many know it's different than the person who's working for the family business? Right? The person who comes in, they punch the clock, they're working for the business. See, as a, a partaker of the family, a partaker of this relationship, you're not so much working for, but you're working in. Does that make sense? And there's a lot of in language, especially in the New Covenant, about us being in, included, in Christ. Right? It's a very inclusive message. So how do we see ourselves? I believe that Jesus came to reveal the heart of Heavenly Father. John speaks of this quite a bit. So a good sign that you understand all that Jesus has done for you, right, is you see yourself as God's dearly loved child. That, that's why I, I, I love, there's so many of these little moments, right? But I love when Jesus is baptized. He's, he's sent out into ministry, and before he's sent out into this temptation, we call it, what happens when he comes up out of the water? There's a voice from heaven that says, this is my son, in whom, not with, in whom I am well pleased. Before one miracle, before taking one step in the ministry, before doing his calling and duty, he knows he's loved. So we have to get this right because sometimes, even in my own life, and I mean, I've had many conversations with many of you here, we thought that somehow we could get more love or more loved by God from what we did, not realizing that it's his love that inspires us to do what we do. You follow me so far? It seems like just a, such a small thing, but when you shift it, it shifts everything. It shifts how you see yourself, how you see God, how you see others, how you navigate this world, how you speak, right? Your actions, everything. And so it's important to see that Jesus came to reveal the heart of our Heavenly Father. But what are we to make of these words of Jesus? He says, does the servant get special thanks for doing what's expected of him? Of him? And then he says, it's the same with you. When you've done everything expected of you, be matter of fact and say, the work is done, what we were told to do, we did. Now, if you read this, depending on where you come from, your theology, your ideas, the context in which you see, how many know that every time we come to Scripture, we come with a lens? There's no way around it. And it's interesting that if someone doesn't see with your lens, you think they're wrong. Or, or we think, I mean, we go as far as to call people heretics. Do you know what it you know what it took to be called a heretic in the early church? A lot. There was a lot of different ideas running around and all different types of things, and no one was called heretics. They were just like, oh, you believe differently than me, right? So I have to believe that, that God has a, a big heart to go, hey, that's where you're on the journey. Praise God. That's cool. That's why I was just talking to my brother Aaron today. He says, you know what I love about this church is that we can, we can have a conversation. There's an open floor. And at the end of that conversation, we can even agree to disagree. And we're still brothers and sisters. We don't have to unfriend each other. We don't have to uh, not spend time together. We can just say, well, I guess we see things differently on that. Isn't that awesome? I mean, that's really what the kingdom's about. So when, when you see this, though, it can seem kind of confusing because 
He's telling them, he's making the statement about being servants, and he says, it's the same with you. Well, didn't Jesus tell the disciples in John 15, 15, I no longer call you servants, but friends? So there's this relational thing. So which is it? Are we servants or friends? Are we slaves or are we sons? Well, let me say this right now, just to clear the air, if you're not sure, we are the children of God. You belong to the family. really has nothing to do with you. Um, how many here have been born? About 98% of us. That's great. I don't know where the rest of you came from. Let me ask you this. Did you have any power in that? Did you have any decision in that? No, you didn't. Interesting, isn't it? You're a child of God, whether you think you are, whether you think you're acting accordingly. We say this all the time. If you're not acting like a child of God or you're not living out of that, you just don't know who you are. So awaken to your true self. Awaken to your identity in Christ. Amen? I love this. The Apostle John goes on to say in his first letter to his church as an Asia minor, he says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. That's who we are. And then he doesn't stop. Look at this. He wants to say, okay, you're, the, you're a child of God. This, is just, this shows you how much the Father has lavished his love on us. And then he says, oh, and that is what we are. Now, this is the Apostle John. Some scholars believe he could be anywhere between 80s, 90s. I mean, he started following Jesus from what we can understand historically in his teen years. So he followed Jesus. I mean, he's been serving Jesus for decades and decades and, and getting downloaded, you know, by the Holy Spirit. Just an awesome revelation of the new covenant. And he's like, listen, I mean, this is, I call him Grandpa John at this point. How many know people at a certain age can kind of just say stuff a certain way and get away with it? Right? If they have something, if they have a, a what do they call it, a burr under their saddle, they're going to let you know. And so John, even in this letter, it's kind of a fiery letter because there's some things going on and people are trying to switch and change things around. And so I, I, I'm hearing this grandpa voice saying, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. I'm not very good at impersonations. That we should be called the children of God and that is who we are. See, that is who I am. I'm a child of God. So if that's true, which I believe it is, who is Jesus referring to in this parable, in this story? Who is the mere servant? Well, I know who it isn't. Us. You're not a servant. You're a son. You're a daughter. Let's get some perspective. Do you know who the servant is? Faith. Faith is the servant. And in what Jesus is saying here, faith that is never put to work. See, there's an order here. There's, there's God, there's us, there's faith. God gives us faith and tells us to put it to work. Think about it like this. Idle faith is useless. If we're not using our faith, if we're not putting our faith to work... It's useless. Read this verse in context and you'll see that Jesus is addressing a request from his apostles. He wasn't just walking along and goes, hey, I got a story for you guys. The story came from a question that they asked and they said in verse 5, increase our faith. We want more faith. And Jesus basically replies to them, you don't need more faith. You're asking the wrong question. <laughs> 
You need to put your faith to work. Listen, he says, suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Think about this. Who are you in this story? Who are the apostles who he's speaking to in this story? Who do you identify with? You are not the servant, but you're the master in charge of the servant. He says, suppose one of you has a servant. You catch that? So Jesus isn't telling a story about you're a servant. He's saying, no, 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 you're the master. The servant is your faith, and you're not putting it to work. You have a servant called faith. And let me say this. Faith is a gift from God. Come on. But faith that does nothing is an unprofitable servant. See, faith is is a gift. We all are given the measure of faith. I I don't know what it is for maybe certain denominations. We thought somehow that we had to get more faith somehow. But what Jesus is saying, no, you already have the faith, which, by the way, isn't from you, it's from me. Do you realize that, that part of your gift of salvation is faith? The ability to trust? The ability that you have to trust is a gift given to you by God? That's awesome. See, it takes the pressure off, doesn't it? This is what I'm finding is that it doesn't make me want to be lazy and do nothing, but it takes the pressure off of performance and self-will and self-effort and trying to do things on my own, realizing, wow, you've blessed me. You've given me all things for life and godliness. You have. It's a done deal. But see, it takes faith to embrace what God has already done for us. Do you see this? I love this quote by Andrew Womack. He says, not using your faith is like allowing your servant to sit on the couch and do nothing but watch television all day. Instead of growing stronger and more efficient through use, their muscles atrophy and their abilities become dull. Then you wonder why your faith isn't producing anything. You haven't put it to work. Now I know some of you grace people, which I love grace, baby, come on. But sometimes we, we've made work into this dirty four-lettered word. We say work, we're like, watch your mouth. But how many know there's work to do? Paul said he worked harder than all the apostles. What? That seems kind of like self-righteous, even though we know he wasn't. But who gave him the power? Christ in him. So there's work to do. But sometimes we get this mixed up. Because, listen, we've, we've heard about self-effort. We've, especially in this church for the last decade, we've heard about, you know, self-works, you know, works of the flesh, self-righteousness. That's not what we're talking about right here. You see, it's not the work that is wrong. Sometimes it's the motivation for the work that is off. And that's what I found in my life. When I thought somehow God would love me a little more, he blessed me a little more. I remember crazy stories, man, like, you know, pe- people get a flat tire on the side of the road. They're like, oh, man, I should have tied this week. It's like, no, you ran over a nail. We, we try to over-spiritualize things to a place where, no, stuff happens in life, right? I'm not trying to make light of it. People who truly believe these things. But listen, <laughs> your salvation isn't because of you. And might I remind you that salvation is not just, I got my ticket stamped to a place in eternity. 
right? The, the word salvation is preservation, safety, healing, wholeness, right? Deliverance. I love that the language used in the new covenant is that we're working out our salvation to those being saved. Well, I thought I was saved. Why? Because I was at a revival and I went up to the altar and prayed a prayer. Well, man, if you got it instantaneously in every facet of your life, blessed be the Lord God of Israel because I still have areas in my life I need some deliverance, right? I need some healing. I need some restoration. And sometimes there are things I don't even see yet. I like what Nate calls them. They're blind spots. How many, how many have... Uh, a car that lets you know if someone's in your blind spot. Yeah? No? Mine's broken, so it's on all the time. So apparently someone's always in my blind spot. A mechanic ordered the part. I just got to get over there and get it fixed. But the first time I realized that I had this, I remember we're going along and I was like, I saw it at my peripherals. I was like, what, what is it? Light in the mirror. And I realized when someone's in my blind spot, the light goes off and lets me know. Yeah, come on. Holy Spirit right there went... That's me. I'm the light that goes off in your life to show you when you have a blind spot. Not so I can bring shame and condemnation, so I can bring healing and preservation and deliverance and safety and goodness to you in those moments. And so, I mean, in my own life, I mean, even just this last week, something new I discovered. Whoa, I never saw that was in there. Holy Spirit, help me work on this. Why? Because I want to be the best version of myself that you created me to be. But how many know it takes a lifetime to find that out, to figure that out? And it, it's being in relationship with God. So we understand that it's not the work that's wrong. Sometimes it's the motivation for the work that's off. We're motivated by uh, other things other than the love of God, other than the wooing of spirit. And I think that's important. Now, a little side note is the word unprofitable, say unprofitable. It appears only twice in the Bible, here in the parable of the unprofitable servant and also in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. In both stories, this is interesting, the word is used to describe a useless servant. So there's something about the servant called faith that we must put to work. How many of that faith really simply is being persuaded about God? We talk in spiritual context. I, I like to use this example in, in the, I guess, in the way that like I would like my faith in every facet of my life to just be instantaneous and just there in total trust. But how many can be honest with me? I'll raise two hands that there's areas in my life maybe there's not total trust yet. But you're a pastor. I know. Isn't it great that that's not the prerequisite to be one? perfection. But I use this example that when any of you came in today to be seated and you picked your favorite seat, some of you actually have like an invisible name on your seat, right? That's my seat. And if a new person sits in there, they're going to hear about it. I'm just kidding, not here. But when you picked what seat you're going to sit in, what did you do? You just sat down? You, Bruce, come on, man. You didn't expect the legs. You didn't get Kata sit first to make sure. No, you had total faith and trust that that seat would hold you up. Some of you came in, just threw your Bible down and plopped down like, 
Thank God this seat's here. That was total, complete faith in that seat, wasn't it? That's the kind of faith that I want to stir up and build up. The faith I already have, but becoming more aware and persuaded about God, his goodness, right? If, if you will not be convinced that God is good to you, your faith is useless and you'll never experience his goodness in your life. If you don't believe that God truly loves you, guess what? Your faith is useless because you will not experience his love in your life. It's not that it's not there. I want us to understand this. God isn't loving you more because you're having faith or loving you less because you don't have enough. It's up to us to say, wait, he loves me unconditionally. He's forgiven me past, present, and future. It's a done deal. I mean, this is wonderful, but how many know it takes faith to believe that? It takes faith for me to walk out of that idea in my life, especially the forgiveness thing. That's why I believe it's so powerful that before Jesus would even uh, heal someone, I don't believe it's that he didn't want to heal them, but what would he do? He cleaned the slate. He said, oh, you want to be healed of uh, you know, your, your lameness? Cool. Your sins are forgiven you. Slate's wiped clean. Why? So now you can receive. You're worthy. You've always been worthy. You just didn't see it. But let me wipe the slate clean. I'm forgiven? Yeah. Now will you receive my healing virtue? Yeah. Why? Because I'm worthy. Because I can. This is beautiful. So you might be sitting there this morning and thinking, sounds good, Pastor Andy. Great message. If I only had more faith. Because <laughs> that's what we go back to, right? Even me, I've had those like, man, if I could just have a little more faith, a little more persuasion about God. I mean, are we listening to what's being said here? Jesus says you don't need more faith. You need to put your faith to work. You need to stop wavering. You know, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You need to stop wavering and make up your mind that God is who he says he is, and he has done what he has said he has done. And maybe it seems like an oversimplification of faith, but is it really that simple? Because I know that I'm not always walking 100% in trust and faith. And guess what? I'm on a journey. It takes time. I love what, what Paul says in Romans 8, verse 31. He says, what then shall we say in response to these things? Say these things. What things? Well, if you read, you know, starting from verse 1, Paul just laid out this beautiful idea of what it is to have a relationship with God, right? That we walk in the Spirit, which we hear that at church, you're like, yeah, I know, I need to walk according to the Spirit, and we think we're in and out of Spirit. That'd be weird, because you'd be laying dead on the ground if you're out of Spirit. That's what animates you, and Him, we live, move, and have our being. But there is something about awakening to, oh, I'm in the spirit. There's a different way to walk. And so Paul's laying out this idea, which would have been crazy to the Jews at the time to hear. I mean, maybe even some of the Greeks. Wait, I'm walking in the spirit, right? He says that we're co-heirs with Christ, that we're part of the family of God. We're no longer orphans. We're, we're part of the family of God, that God works together all things for our good. So he says all these things, and he says, what is our response to all these good things. Look at his response. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, I don't know about you, but there's been many times in my walk 
Thank God it's been years now where I actually thought God was against me. Now let me ask you a question. If you think someone is against you, someone sees you as less than, someone doesn't truly love you, how do you trust that person? You can't have faith in someone whom you think doesn't truly love you, doesn't truly have your best interest in mind, is against you. And Paul says, because of all these things, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now listen, there's something about terminology and my friend Tom can break all that down for you really, really good. But the if isn't here. Now if he is, you never know. It's So if he is, it's a proclamation of this is how it is, right? If this is how it is, who can be against us? And then I love what he says. He says, he, he who did not spare his own son, but gave, up, gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Say all things. Now I want you to note the question in this passage. He says, what shall we say in response? Faith is a positive response. You following me? Faith is a positive response. It's saying, yes, I believe, God, that you're for me. That's it. That's, that's faith. I'm convinced. I am persuaded. See, another word that has kind of got tossed around is the word confession. Now, I don't know what you believe or what you grew up in, and I may maybe even understood things wrong, but I thought growing up, that confession was something that I said over and over and over and over and over again. And if I say it enough times, I found that the magic number was 71 and a half. I'm just kidding. If I say stuff enough times, God will move on my behalf. And then one day, something went off in my heart. He's already done it. My faith and my confession is laying hold of what he's already done. And the word confession means to say the same thing as to agree with. So what does God say about you? See, we thought confession was confessing all the things that we didn't think we had that we have to try and get. And the whole time it was saying what God says about you, that you already have it. Now lay hold of it by faith. Put your faith to work. Faith is your servant. Isn't that awesome? That doesn't mean you're going to get it wrong. I mean, you're going to go out today and go, boom. I mean, everything's fixed. It takes time. And there's certain areas of your life. I mean, there's things that have come up in my heart. I'm like, man, I didn't even know that was there. And I'll be honest with you. My first response is like, how am I ever going to get through this? How am I ever going to fix this? And I love that Holy Spirit's there to say, you don't have to do it on your own. What? In fact, that's just a lie you're believing about yourself. That's not who you truly are. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you, being in connection and having a relationship with God, Holy Spirit is always speaking. He's always convincing us of our righteousness, of our right standing of who we are in Christ. So can you see you don't need more faith? Many times we just need to make up our mind. We need to stop wasting time in the anxiety of uncertainty and find our rest in God's goodness and his grace. Realizing, God, if you're for me, who can be 
against me. It doesn't mean that everything goes smooth, but through those circumstances, through the anxiety that tries to attach itself, through the worry, we can do what? I love what Peter says, cast your care on him because he cares for you. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, again, I love words, man. That word cast in the Greek means to hurl. It means with everything you have, just grab that thing and as hard as you can, you cast it on the Jesus. Why? He loves you. And then I realize this. He's right there helping me. He's like, let me just take it. Let me just have it. And that's, and that's the biggest thing that I found in, in just talking with brothers and, you know, through working through some different therapy things myself is realizing a lot of times it's, for years, I preached so many things about God and his goodness, and, and I believe it, but it takes a step of faith sometimes to release those things that are literally hurting us. Does that make sense? It almost becomes the thing that we have to sacrifice, whether it be anger or alcohol or jealousy or, or lying, whatever it is. It's like it's, it can be so hard at times, but God's saying, this is where faith comes in. Do you trust me enough to give that to me? Because I'm the only one who can fix it. It's not always easy, is it? And so the question might be, well, how do I do that? That's great, Pastor. Well, let me say this. There's no perfect answer to it. Your journey is different than my journey. And I believe Holy Spirit, whether speaking to you in a still, small voice, which is wonderful, when you hear the voice of spirit or speaking through someone who I believe is gifted to help draw those things out. It's in those moments that you start to discover and go, okay, God, now I see it. The blind spots been removed. I'm seeing those things now. Now what it takes is total trust in you to release this thing. Because sometimes we have this false idea that we can control stuff. <laughs> Woohoo! but it's releasing those things. I want us to look at Paul's second and third answer. He asks a question, if God is for us, guess what? He is. If he gave us his son, guess what? He did. Come on, man, you guys know the answer already. <laughs> See, when you consider all that God has done, faith gets off the couch. That's where that moment of trust intersects with not knowing. And this is the thing that's interesting is we live in a society where we're into graphs and numbers and, and being able to back stuff up with facts. Come on, right? Everyone's got their facts, whether they're right or wrong. But sometimes we've let that unfortunately move over into our spirituality, into our relationship with God. And so we're looking for all the facts, because if we have it all together, then, then I can have faith. But let me clue you into something. That's not faith. Faith is engaged when you're uncertain. And so many of us, we don't want to be uncertain. We want to be certain on every level. But I found in my own life, when, I, when I'm truly having to engage faith, put faith to work, is when I'm uncertain. I don't know the answer. I don't know the outcome. Are you following me this morning? And so sometimes we've lived under this false idea that, that having faith 
is just knowing everything is good and everything is okay and knowing all the, the parameters and the ideas. But honestly, faith is stepping out sometimes into the unknown, being uncertain, not sure, but hearing voice of spirit saying, okay, should I go there? I've shared my testimony, I don't know how many times, about moving from one idea to the next, one belief or belief system or idea to the next. It's not easy. When you believe something for 5 and 10 and 15 years, how many know it's not easy to leave that belief? And many times Holy Spirit is saying, come on, let's do this. You're like, okay, I'm going to do it. No hands. I'm going to do this. I'm going to trust you. That's faith. But I'll share from my personal experience when I've done those things, even though it felt uncertain and I wasn't sure, there's such freedom that came when that revelation came to me when it was revealed when I saw something different and and that's really what our journey should do we should be leaving little bits of fear reluctance um, controlling spirits things like that behind because how many know that living a life of fear is not a good way to live I mean there's some people who have been born of fear they've been feared into this relationship with Jesus and so their entire relationship is built on fear and pastors have to keep fearing you in the staying in relationship with God but I found something that love is the most transformative thing in our lives love transforms your heart and when your heart's transformed you begin to live out of your heart not okay okay I better do the right thing okay I'm really trying I'm really trying to do this right no 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 love transforms your heart where the, then you begin to make better decisions for you and others amen so when you consider his goodness when you consider how awesome God is guess what faith begins to work when you consider all that God has done, I love him to say it again, faith gets off the couch. Enough television time, faith. Enough Netflix binging, it's time to get to work for me, amen? So how do you put faith to work? By renewing your mind, Romans 12, two, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind and being persuaded about God. Persuaded that God who has already given us his son, He's given us all supply. He's given us everything we need according to his riches in Christ Jesus that it's a done deal and we just say yes and amen. Amen? Will you stand with me this morning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. First of all, for your love. Every time we speak, every time we have a conversation, I cannot start a conversation out without saying, thank you for your unconditional love. Mm. It has just changed my heart. It's changed my perspective. It's, it's changed just everything. And I thank you that that same love, that by the way, isn't withheld from any person, it's always been there. That people who are hearing this this morning, whether it's online, it's here, that maybe this is an awakening moment. We're beginning to see, wow, God, you truly love me. That's where it all begins. Heavenly Father, your grace is sufficient. Grace is the doorway into the kingdom. 
But maybe for some of us, we've struggled with this idea about faith, thinking we need to increase our faith. We need to get more faith. No, the measure of faith has been given. Now it's just a matter of being in relationship with you, seeing your goodness, seeing all that you've done, and saying, I choose to put my faith to work. I choose to embrace what Jesus has already done for me. It's already there. It's already mine, and I choose to walk in it. Say this with me. Holy Spirit, thank you for shining light into my heart. If there's any area, any blind spot, I'm open for you to show that to me. And I thank you, Jesus, that you're not here to bring shame or guilt or condemnation. You're here to bring healing into my soul. And so Jesus, I give you permission. Bring healing virtue to those lies that I believed about myself, about others, and even about you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.